We spoke about uh, the Shlichut Hadam vis-a-vis the Shlichut Fakadish Baruch And the Rev made many points which are indicative of human frailty and human shortcomings. Uh, number one, Shlichut Fakadish Baruch you never know for sure what the real Shlichut is. Shlichut always changes. And we have to uh, be ready to shift gears. Number two, Shlichat Fakadish Baruch Hu, when there's Shlichat Aleadamah, whenever there's a Meshaleach, he disappears. The Shlich takes over. Shlichat Fakadish Baruch Hu, he doesn't leave us. And it's only with the Hashgacha Pratit and his help that we can achieve what we achieve. Um, Shlichat for Ben Adam, generally speaking, we finish what we have to do. The Gemara in Ruven says, Chazakar al hashliach she'mekayem shlichutau. Shlichat v'akadosh baruch hu, unfortunately, generally speaking, we never finish our shlichat. We're cut down in the middle. Eina dameit v'chatsi tavatav biyado, and even on a spiritual level, and uh, that's what I told you about Rabbaran Katla, which is a very moving uh, story, a very interesting story, uh, the Gemara in Avodah the Gemara talks about the importance, and this is not exactly Sichat Chulin, but there's so much you can analyze in those words. And then, of course, the Shlichot between individuals, one can be more important, one can be less important. It's obvious someone sends you to buy a car for him. It's not as important as being sent to choose a wife. Uh, although in this day and age, in some of our circles, the car is more important than the wife, but that's uh, that's a different story, uh, in, in some of our circles at least. But Shlichet V'Kadosh Baruch no one is inherently better than the other one. And that's a magnificent thought. It gets us involved with... Um, the Rav's old quandary, who had more Kedusha, the Vilna Gaon or the shoemaker in, uh, in Vilna? And here you have the entire conflict of the Hasidic movement, the, the, the Mitnagdim. Uh, those of you familiar with the Baal Shem Tov, and actually we don't have too much literature from the Baal Shem Tov. He basically wrote nothing but Chayav. But the first sefer we have is uh, from Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, that was uh, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Polana, was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. And he wrote the Toldot. The Toldot is the uh, one Hasidic volume that's accepted by all Hasidim. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Polana, don't mix them up with Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of New York. But the Toldot is accepted by all Hasidim. And uh, what, I'm, what I mean by that is very simply that uh, in the third generation, Hasidus starts splitting up. And once it starts splitting up, you have Lubavitch has its svarim, Ger has its svarim, Bells has its svarim. But the svarim from the second generation, namely the Toldot, and I would mention the Kedusha Talevi, Reb Levi Yitzhak Mibedicheva, those svarim every Hasid accepts. doesn't matter where your loyalty is today, but those are the Avnei HaYesod of the Hasidic movement. And those of you familiar uh, with, with um, I'm not going to go into detail, it doesn't come into this uh, lecture today, but you will find time and again the theme that 
the Mesirat Nefesh, Echad HaMabed, Echad HaMamed, the told that quotes it a number of times, this is crucial to Chassidit. Unlike the Litvisher world, where of course the Talmud Chacham was always rated uh, above everybody else. And uh, that's what the Rebbe is referring to here. And I have to say that uh, the Rebbe is trying to find a... Uh, a way to satisfy both elements within his personality or within his gestalt. Because on one hand, the Rav says time and again that no, all individuals are equal. In other words, everyone can achieve the ultimate, whether you're a shoemaker or a Vilna Gaon. But when you look at it from the point of view of Lambdas, there's no question the Vilna Gaon is the Vilna Gaon and the shoemaker remains the shoemaker. So you see, the Rav is trying to bridge the gap here. In the Hasidic world, all the legendary stories with the Baal Shem Tov, again, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to use the word legendary in the sense that a Hasid believes these stories to be absolutely true, and it could very well be uh, they're absolutely true. I'm done, but all these stories that are so magnificent of the Baal Shem Tov, where this Talmud Chacham travels, one of the famous stories, he's traveling through uh, Mezhbitz, where the Baal Shem Tov lived, and uh, he's maledicting all the Hasidim. They can't learn. Can't learn. So the Hasidim came crying to the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov issued some incantation. And this Mithnagid forgot all his learning. And he comes to the Baal Shem Tov crying. And the Baal Shem Tov says, you'll only get back your learning if you promise me you won't boast anymore. See, and this is the world in conflict here. The world in conflict. There's a story told, uh, I don't know if it's the Baal Shem Tov of the Magid Mimezrich, where this, uh, I think it's told with the Baal Shem Tov, where this Chassid comes to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, I just finished Shas. He's all excited, he finished Shas. And the Rebbe answers him, looks him in the eye, and says, and tell me, how much of Shas finished you? And see, there too, you see this direct conflict. It's a meridic vat. In other words, he's boasting, I finished Shas. And the Rebbe says to him, how much of Shas finished you? In other words, how much did you absorb? How much did it change you, elevate you? And that's the world in conflict. And the Rav, due to that uh, Haslavich influence, he could not move away from his uh, love for Hasidus. And he, uh, time and time, it shows up in his drasha. See, that's what already, that on the level of spirituality, the Sandler and the Vilna Gong can be equal, that already uh, shows Hasidic influence. Many a Litvak would not agree with the Rav. That's that, that much I can tell you. But of course, in learning, the Vilnagon is the Vilnagon. Okay. Then, uh, of course, the Rav went in on this whole theme of Shlichut. He went into um, Yaakov Avinu. Here he rebukes Yosef. What kind of dreams are these? And on the other hand, he's waiting to see when it will happen. And uh, the Rav explained very beautifully that there was a duality here. There was two different themes at work. On one hand, the the hay, the the the, the all the dreams of materialism, the grain, the tfua, the crops. One person can be richer than another. And of course, we know in our world it's true. People are wealthy, less wealthy. Some people are poor. You can't say everyone is equal uh, physically. So on that level, the father accepted the dream of Yosef at Sadiq. But on the level of the moon and the stars bowing down, there already the father was very angry because the moon, the stars, the sun represent spirituality. And on the spiritual level, 
no person can claim that he's better than another person. Each person can achieve greatness. And that's where the father rebuked him. And then the Rav went on to say that the truth of the matter was that the halom v'chipucho hayunachon. In other words, the dream and the opposite. It's mirror image. Both were right. On the level of wealth, there's no talk, nothing to debate. The brothers were starving. There was no food left. They had to go to Mitzrayim. Yosef was, was richer than Paro. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm paraphrasing our expression, richer than Korach, but now I really, it's really true. Yosef was richer than Paro. It was unbelievable what he accumulated for the king. So on that level, the dream came true. On the spirituality, there were moments where the brothers towered above Yosef, moments when Yosef towered above the brothers. Now, I, uh, j- I just want to add on one word, what I said last week. The part of this year, was written up by Moshe Cronin in Yemezi Karon. And uh, I made a comparison again. I wanted to see, because I wrote up this year long before the Yemezi Karon appeared. I don't know the year I wrote this up, but since uh, I wrote it up from my notes and memory, and I have a feeling I wrote this up in the early 80s. Uh, it must be early 80s that I wrote this up. The Yemezi Karon appeared many years later. Now, I know that... Um, Moshe Krona worked from the manuscripts. There, were, there are no tapes that I know of. Could be the family has tapes of this Yatzite Shear, but this Yatzite Shear, the tapes have never surfaced. Uh, but Krona worked for manuscript. I know it's a fact because he called me into his office and uh, he showed me the manuscripts and wanted to know if I could read them. I took one look at it. I said, impossible to read. It was just amazing to see the Rav's handwriting when he wrote manuscripts. But they finally found people who could read it, remains a problem until today. Couldn't read everything, but uh, could get the gist of it. And from that, Krona wrote it up. So, on one hand, he has the manuscript. On the other hand, he didn't hear the delivery. And time and again, I've shown this also with uh, Sharim Laseich Murray, which again, it's, for me, it's a tragedy, because they took the outside Sharim. They didn't, they didn't publish them in Toto. They published the Halacha, not the Agadam. They didn't give you the data was set. I mean, it was such sloppy work that should have been done on a much higher level. But all right, uh, this is a problem. When the master doesn't do it himself, uh, it's never going to be on the same level. I've told you, you know, you, know, you want an example? I'll give you an unbelievable example. Rabbi David Svi Hoffman, the giant of Pashantamikra, scientific studies. You, you know who Rabbi David Svi Hoffman was from Berlin. He was the... Uh, the, the, the head of the Hildesheimer Seminary, the dean, the focal figure, Halacha, I mean, a man, he knew every, you know, a giant, he knew everything, Shas and Paiskim, Halacha, Pashunt Mikra, secular knowledge. He was a Veltgon, he was like Reb Chaim Hela. Reb David Zviatman was like Reb Chaim Hela. So he published his commentary to Vayikra and Devarim. Those commentaries are fabulous. You can't. Anyone studying Vayikva Devarim on a high level has to use those commentaries. Later, many, many years later, from manuscript, they published notes of his on Shmot in, in B'nai Brak. The Sefer on Shmot, I think Beresha too, if I'm not mistaken. It could be Beresha too. Those Svarim come nowhere near. It's like, it's like a midget compared to a giant. Because it was notes unfinished. He didn't prepare it himself. So kids got hold of it, and they gave it to people who don't know too much to begin with as far as Rav David Svihafman's world. And they published it. And that's the problem. When the master doesn't publish what comes afterwards, 
will never be on the level that it should have been. But, but what I want to say is, when I looked into this part of the drasha, I didn't find anything I didn't have, but I found a little bit expanded. I found, see, the Rav asked, now this I don't recall, but it could very well be that I heard it and I just didn't put it into my notes, so it could be it was in the manuscript. But the Rav asked, why did Yosef at Sadek have to call in Bnei Yisrael, all his brothers? Swear to me, you bury me in, in Egypt. Why did he have to call them in? And the Rav asked, why didn't he just ask Ephraim Menashe? Could have taken his grandsons, young, healthy, and make them swear. And see to it, if you're not going to be around, be it see it in Israel, so see to it that your children. Could have taken his own families. And it's a merit question. I, 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 when I saw this, I, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm not a youngster anymore. But what a beautiful little question. You understand? No one had, why did he call in B'nai Yisrael? Why not a Fahimu Menashe? You know, grandchildren are grandchildren. It's a merit the question. And, uh, and here the Rav elaborated that it was essential that the brothers had to understand that Joseph appreciated their spiritual greatness. Only if the brothers would agree, we know you care for us. We know you respect us. We know that you're also spiritually great. We know that although you lived in Egypt, you were untainted by the Egyptian culture. Only if the brothers would agree, then Yosef would feel they comprehend that I appreciate their spirituality, that I don't want to be any different than them. I want to be buried in the Holy Land with them. I want to be part of the Shiftei Kar. I have not separated from them. We're one spiritual unit. And that's why the Rub said he had to plead with the brothers and not with Ephraim and Menashe. I'm elaborating on last week because I saw something I never saw before. And, and, and of course, then... That makes a lot of sense. And of course, the second part is so beautiful that how the Jews held up Yitzhak Mitzrayim. At that moment, they all bowed before Yosef. Yosef, a slave and a viceroy. And he never stopped Avodat Hashem. He never left spirituality. So that there, the dream and the opposite, both were true. And um, I, I consider that uh, beautiful. Now, I only want to add that the Rev said time and again, and uh, this was basic to the Rev's thinking. It's basic to his own life structure too, to understand the Rev. The Rev said time and again that Hakarit Hatov, he quotes Rabbeinu Bachya, Rabbeinu Sajigon, it's essential to Yiddishkeit. Hakarit Hatov, those of you that have studied Masa. And the Rev used to say time and again, you want a proof? Simplest proof of all. Here are the Jews in Egypt. They've suffered 210 years. Finally, they have a chance to get out. Time and again, Paro has changed his mind. Right or wrong? They have a chance to get out. Run. I can tell you halacha lamaisa. I'm telling you something I never said in public before. 
but my tongue has become loose. They lifted the security clause. I should tell these stories. The KGB, they were so smart, was the only part of Russia that operated. And they knew what it means for an Orthodox, for a Torah Jew, Shabbos. So inevitably, any time they decided to throw out so-called tourists, people we sent, inevitably they threw them out in Shabbat. So of course, among the people I sent were uh, Talmidim of mine, of the Rav. So uh, when it became known, they threw out uh, these people on Shabbat. Before this group of Talmidim went, they went to the Rav. And they said, Rebbe, we're asking a theoretical question. But if the KGB decides to throw us out on Shabbat, what should we do? And I'll talk about this next year in my, my opening again, but you have to understand the Rav's psychic, psychological makeup. And the Rav said, that's our question. Run. There's no Shabbat for you. Run. Run for your lives. Paskin la halacha. No shtick. Get on the plane. Get on the train. Whatever the, the plane. The, when you arrive in Helsinki, then Shabbat begins again. Understand that's all you had to tell the Rav that the KGB is decided to expel you and you're going to start fighting with them. So the Rav said, here the Jews are leaving Egypt. Get out. Moshe Rabbeinu endangered the whole Yitzhiah because he had to find the bones of Yosef. Hakaratatov. He had to go, he had to look, he had to search. Hakaratatov. Semeritic fat. Okay. Now, now, now I, I go a step further and we come to something magnificent and um, at the end, at the very end of this year, I, uh, time allowing, I'll elaborate on it. Now we can understand. You see, what does covered mean? Covered is essential to human existence. For instance, there's a concept of covered habriyat. We have to treat a human being with dignity. A human being has to treat himself with dignity. Why? It's simple. Man is created in the image of God. And what you call Selim Elohim in relation to God is reflected by Kavar Habriot in Halacha. And, and this is crucial. All of you understand the Torah Jew, you have to be decent uh, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you conduct yourself uh, without going into Israeli politics that can kill you. But uh, when Rabbi Lichtenstein was asked why he didn't participate in the demonstration, so he said, Rabbi Vajra's language is shocking. I don't want to be identified with that language. And I have to tell you that uh, there is a point there. You can't use language like that. A Talmud Chacham, you have to understand. It's covered up It's a way to speak, a way to act. Right? I'm not criticizing Rabbi Vajra. He comes from a different mentality, I'm told. And they explained to me that that was accepted back in, uh, in, in uh, Morocco and uh, the Svadic world. The Gedoli Israel spoke that way. Could be. But in our world, it's not, certainly not Kavar Abriyat. And Kavar Abriyat is a reflection of Tzalem Lekim, not the innate 
dignity that a human being possesses because he was created in the image of God. And this goes across the board. I mean, it's Jew, Gentile. It's uh, the way we act, the people trait them. The commands Rabbi Yochanan, I am makdim shalom lechol adam afilu nachri shabeshuk. Even a guy, how are you? Good morning. This is covered a briot. Not only that, Hakadosh Baruch Hu Himself is called Melech Hakavod. We say it in in, in Shishal Yom once a week. They heal him. Chavtalit pasuk chet. Misa Melech Hakavod. Hashem Izuz vegibar. Hashem Gibor Milchama. So who is the Melech HaKavad? Hashem. So you see, God Himself, God Himself is called uh, the Melech HaKavad. Well, if this is the case, then Kavad has to be a very good trait. And the Rub went even a step further. He said, if this is the case, then what's the basic principle of all of Judaism? No? Imatati Odeo. To emulate God. The, 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 don't we have the Gemara in Shabbos, Tafkuflamid Gimelamid Bet? The Gemara says on the Pasik, Zekelivian Vehu. What does it mean, Van Vehu? I will exalt him, I will glorify him. Havi Domale, Van Vehu means be like God, imitate God. Mahu Chanun Varachum, Afatahaya Chanun Varachum. Well, if this is the case, then mahu mechubad afatati mechubad mahu melacha kavod afatam melacha kavod. So you see, on one hand, kavod is a very admirable, desirable trait. On the other hand, we see Chazal totally put down people who seek kavod, people who act in a mechubadic fashion. They were totally negative. And I, I, I can quote many examples, but Pekayovit, Perik Dalit, Mishnah Chafalev. Boy, this Mishnah, no words were ever truer. Vahakina, Vahataiva, Vahakavad, Motsinet Adam in Olam. And I once heard Pshat, I once heard a Meritic Pshat, it goes in stages. When you're young, you're very jealous. Ah, this kid is smarter than me. This kid got better grades. This kid is the Rebbe's pet. His girlfriend is beautiful. Kids are jealous. Then you reach middle age, and God have mercy. At that point already, you're in your prime middle age. You last fling. Taiva. God have mercy. How many homes, how many people have destroyed their lives? Sexual misbehavior Aye, and then you come to your old age and what people will do for covet oh my I remember yet the rebellion we had and uh, my generation what we were exposed to I don't know today I, I don't know what goes on in YU today don't know what my colleagues have become like in their old age but Rabbi Volk I got a fairly good memory boys I'm Rabbi Vulcan, Rabbi Gorelick. It was fire and water. Amnity. Each one felt the other one was putting the other one down. What would go on at a Chagiga? My. Covered. The boys. That's all you needed. You didn't act properly. Rabbi 
the machvolket. Ravanis, Ravolk, I'm letting secrets out of the bag. They didn't, they were two telsa. They didn't speak to each other for 40 years in the yeshiva. They both came from the same tells. And what, what went on? And this was, this was part of that mentality. Covet. Covet. Gotta give, end up giving up covet. It's part of that mentality. David, I see you bothered. I'll, I'll deal with it soon. Don't worry. Uh, the Gemara Nevrivim, Dafyud Gimel Amidbet, V'chol HaMagbiyatzmo, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mashpilo, Kol HaMachazel HaGdula, Gedula Barachet Mimeno. In other words, you conduct yourself with COVID, God will knock you down. You run after COVID, people who run after it, just runs away from you. So what's going on here? There's such a contradiction. Here we say covet is wonderful, covet is good, melacha covet, mahumachubad, afatamachubad, metateyodeo. By the way, those of you familiar with the Rav's Machshava, that's absolutely the basic concept in all his theology. Imetateyodeo. Those of you familiar with the Ishalacha, with, with everything. This is what, Kedoshim Tiyuki, Doshim Yishamalakechem. This is what it's all about. And on the other hand, Covet is terrible. Kaddish Baruch Hu knocks you down. You lose it. It runs away from you. What's happening here? And the Rav explains so beautifully. It all depends on your attitude. If you conduct yourself in dignity because you recognize you're a shliach Hashem, this is covered habriot because you recognize you took an oath. Mashpino told the Gemara Nida that we spoke about two weeks ago. If you recognize that your covet comes because God placed you in this world to achieve, then covet is a beautiful trait. If, on the other hand, covet comes about, and the Rav here said from the word, it sounds like Rav Hish, it's interesting here, kaved. What does kaved mean? Heavy. I'm a big shot. I'm superior. I have more spiritual weight than anybody else. I did greater things. Greater accomplishments. If that's where your covered Habriot is coming from, then it's a terrible trait. And, and then you have infringed upon your shlichot. So you see... Covered at times can be wonderful. Covered at times can be horrendous. And it all depends what your starting point is. And it's a beautiful thought. No one shlichot is greater than the other. The Rav was the Rav. You'll hear next week on the Meredik Shir prepared that Rabbi Israel Miller will give. You'll hear the Rav says, I have a good memory, but that's nothing to do with me. I was blessed with it. You see... In other words, it's not going to go over to the shoemaker and say to him, how come you don't remember Shas and Paiskim? The shoemaker didn't have that memory. The Rev was blessed with it. It doesn't give you any right to consider yourself better, inherently more mechubedik than, than the shoemaker. On the other hand, for a tamtachim to walk around with dirty clothing, not to be neat, uh, to walk around uh, not to be organized, to walk around uh, haphazardly, to look like he's from a different world, uh, not to pay his bills, 
I'm paraphrasing the Gemara in, uh, in, in Yoma, and, and many other places. That's, that, that's a, a terrible sin because it's no covered. The covered of Briot. You're covered. God created you. You're a Talmud Chacham. People are looking at you. All right? And, and see, this will explain the Rav. It's an, it's an amazing thing. Rav Goldwecht was overwhelmed. Those of you that read the tradition and memory, but I knew this, Bishas Meiser. Rav Goldwech, Europe, European slash Israeli, Russia Shiva, covered. It's the Israeli system. Rav Goldwech comes to America the first time, comes up to Yeshiva University to meet the Rav, and um, they go into the cafeteria to have supper together. And Rav Goldwell couldn't believe it. The Rav stands on line with all the other fellas, doesn't let it, then doesn't jump the line. Can you picture in Karen Biafna the Grush Yeshiva standing on line? And the Rebbe, Rebbe, please go out. No, 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 no. And he's the Rav. His time is as valuable as the student. The student's time is as valuable as his. There's, there, there was a tremendous anivet in the Rav. Now, I don't say everyone can emulate this. Could be Rashi Yeshiva. I'm a poor example. Don't, don't live the way I live. It could be I'm a poor example. But it's a meridic thought. The Rav waited online with Karen Biyavna with the Rashi Yeshiva and, 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 and at that point. On the other hand, you conduct yourself with dignity, with cleanliness, with, with, with responsibility. This is the difference. The fact that person's blessed with a better memory, uh, that's a gift from God. If you've developed it, all right. But that leads to covet a briot, but selim elokim. But covet a briot, where you go around boasting as, as, as an amaritz, you know, the rocket shuffer. Uh, someone told me on Shabbos, the guy, person was shaking. I forget already who told me this story. That the, uh, oh, I know who told me. Uh, it was yesterday, Rabbi Langa. So he doesn't know. I said, come study with me. My students over the decades have heard me explain the rocket shuffle. That's why we don't paskin like him. He was, he was a, he was, they, they, the rocket shuffle fought with Meir Simcha. There were, there were two Rabbanim in Dvins. Two Rabbanim. Two Rabbanim. The rocket shuffle was the Hasidic Rav. Rabbi Meir Simcha was the Litvisha. All their lives they fought, they fought, they fought. And, and when the Rabbi Meir Simcha died, the rocket shuffle was, was crying, was destroyed, which, so they asked the rocket shover, your whole life you fought with him. So the rocket shover said, ah, oh, by the end of his life, he knew how to learn a daf gemara already. You understand? That was the rocket shover. He once said about Rabbi Yitzchel that a gemara and a tosvat he understands, but nothing beyond that. You know, that was the rocket shover. Well, listen, if you have a mind like the rocket shover, it's one in a million billion. But you can't put down everybody else. The rocket shover was the rocket shover. He was, he was, you know, someone that corresponded with him was the greatest cover in the world that he answered you and, and took your inquiry seriously. Uh, I don't know, it has to be checked. I have a feeling that Rabbi Yosef Weiss corresponded with the rocket shuffer when he was a teenager in, in, in Rabbi Meishe Shir. Uh, it has to be checked. Someone who knows Rabbi Yosef Weiss should ask him if my memory is correct. I think he showed me a postcard or two that he got from the rocket shuffer. But uh, I understand that was the rocket shuffer. But uh, normal humans can't be like that. You are right. They're, 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 you know, not a man has the same mind. But I'll tell you what I admire. When a person has more limited ability and he develops it, I stand in awe of that person. And that's what they say about Rabbi Shochanan, that they say his abilities 
natural abilities were only average. But they say he used to, they tell the story, I have it in the volume that just came out on the Briska World, volume one. They tell, he was a Talmud of, 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 um, Rabin Diskin. That's the father of Yeshua Leib Diskin, Briska Rav. He was the Talmud of the Briska Rav. That's before the Salavitchik family came to Brisk. So they say one time, the Rabin Yamin Diskin came into the base Medrash midnight, and he saw Rabbi Salchanan crying bitterly. A kid. And he listened. What was he crying? He was asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give him the ability to understand Shasva Paiskim. And Rabbi Yamin Diskin said, when someone cries bitterly 12 midnight, and that's what he asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's why he became Rabbi Salchanan Specter. So there already, you understand, that's a person who didn't have the, the, the mind of the rocket shovel, let's say. But Rabbi Salchanan Specter is Rabbi Salchanan Specter. So you see, covered is a two-fold sword, a, a two-edged sword. On one hand, it's very important. It's like a Kaddish Baruch Hu. On the other hand, when it comes from Kaveh, superiority, boastfulness, lack of humility, it's not, it's not a good trait. And I want to pay tribute to my generation of students. And I've often said this, when we get together, when we talk... We saw our Abayim at their best and at their worst. And what do I mean at their worst? They were thrown out of Europe, what Hitler did to the world, they're thrown into America, thrown into an ocean that was strange to them and told swim. And there were a lot of things we saw that could be disturbing. And we were smart enough to filter. We took the greatness and left behind what were passing problems of adjustment and frustration. And I give credit, give credit to my generation. And I can tell you stories, you know, the, beneath the Rav, the Rav was already heads and shoulders, he was uh, in a different world. But, but the other Rebbeim, oh, what went on? I can only tell you one anecdote. If I'm going to talk about Rabbi Riskin later today, I can tell you that, I, I forget whether I, I, it, I, no, it was Rav Volk. Rav Volk wanted Steve Riskin to be a spy for him, and report back to him whatever Rav Gorelik would say about him in class. Adkadekach was the enmity that, that he spoke with Riskin, give me a report, he wanted to know, you know, the Wachoshesh, it all went back with the famous, the famous story with the Purm Chagig. You know the story with the, with the, it was a Purm Chagig. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable to tell the story where the Yeshiva was shaking over that story. But at the Chagiga, the Rabbi Volk was a little stout, a little heavy. So at the yeshiva, the boys sang, Old Rav Volk is a shtickle bulk, dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee. And Rav Volk didn't know what the word bulk meant. It's an English word. It's not a Yiddish word. So he meets Rav Yeruchim the next day, and Rav Yeruchim already is out. You know, there's all the rivalry. Rav Yeruchim was rotten, brisk. Rav Volk was tells for, for Rav Yeruchim, Rav Chaim Salavechik was everything. For Rav Volk, Rav Chaim Salvech, was an Amarid, Sabur, the only Rav Chaim that comes, Rav Chaim Rabinovich, Rav Chaim tells her, you don't know, there's a different world. you got to read about it. Uh, he has a doctorate, which is quite good. Shol uh, Stampfa. I understand it came out in English. I haven't seen it. I have the original. He was a Meritic doctorate on Voloshin, uh, Tales and Slabatka. So, uh, so Rav Yerucham meets him and he says, no. If Ashtana was the boy, did you understand what the boys called you yesterday? Rav Volk says, What's Old Rav Volk is a shtickle. What does it mean, Volk? So 
So Rabbi Yeruchim tells him a shtickle flesh mitzvah egen, a piece of meat with two eyes. We didn't know what hit us. We come into Shear, come into Shear. Everyone's waiting for the Shear to begin. Rav Volks looks at the class and he says to us, Next to Mo, better stickle flesh with zwei Eigen zu sagen, das Schier. Ich sag das nicht. Slam the Gemara and walked out. Next time, ask a piece of meat with two eyes to say the Schier. I'm not saying a Schier. Oh, he walked out, Abrams came up, we had to write a letter of apology, and then we found out, we see Rav, Rav Gorelick is laughing, you know, we found out already what happened, but you can't believe what went on. You can't believe the machloike, the battle, rotten, we were kids. How, how, how did we know the difference between Mir at an early age? I once mentioned, I'll never forget, I told it many years, I told the story, I'll never forget, I can't, can't get out of my mind. I'm sitting in front of Avok. I loved him. He was my Rebbe two years before the Rebbe. He's a, clown, he's a giant sitting right in front of him. And he's quoting Reb Chaim. He's quoting Reb Chaim. And suddenly he turns, I must have it in my notes, and suddenly he turns to me, Ratkav, where's this Reb Chaim? Who's this Reb Chaim I'm quoting? Rebbe, Reb Chaim Salavechik. The building exploded. He had a time. Took me many decades to understand what Ravok meant, why they were so angry in tells, and from their point of view, they were right. You understand? Do you think Rabhaim was accepted all over? In tells they let him, didn't let him in the door. But that, that that we were kids. But that's you see it was a tragedy. But we were smart enough, we took the good, not the no. We took the cover Adam, the Tzalem Elohim, on the highest level. Not the Tzalem Elohim, that my Shlichit is better than yours, and my Shita is better than yours, and my Reb is better than yours. David, there's nothing to ask you. I'm going to explain to you why Reb why this. Wait till my volume comes out on the Rav. Wait till you see the Rav talking with Rebellion Prishina. Wait till you see Rebellion telling the Rav he was born before Matan Tyra. And you'll understand. Then get Shaul Stamper's book. David, learning, when you get smicha, the first thing you do is rip it up and dance. Because smicha is a license to start learning. Smicha says you are an aritz, a boor. All you did was cram to pass your Redea and the Donkeys and the cows now gave you a stempful that you know to differentiate between a donkey and a cow, and you know how to shech the cow. That's it. Forget about it. Then you start learning. And then there's no end. And I'm a Litvak. I'm not, I'm not going to be generous. No echar hamabe echar hamamid. Echar hamabe. That's all that counts. I'm a Litvak. I'm, I'm now disagreeing with everything I've quoted the Reverend this year. But take it. 60% seriously. The other 40% you can still be a chassid. And then the Rav said, now we understand what the shvu is about. Remember what I said last week? What, what, what does the shvuah mean? So of course we explained that you're a shliach. But the shvuah means you would discharge your shlichut in dignity. You see, if you go around saying, I'm so smart, I'm so intelligent, I did so well, that's not shlichut. Shlichut means God gave me abilities. I have to use those abilities. Avodat Hashem. Discharge your shlichut in dignity. Discharge your shlichut 
because of the Tzalem Elohim. And even if the world says to you, you're a tzaddik. Now let's look at it a little differently. Remember how I explained it last time? Now a little differently. Even the world says you're a tzaddik. Don't get boastful. Don't get carried away. Don't have gaiva. Sure, you're a tzaddik. But treat yourself like a Russia. Never stop striving. Never stop trying. Selim Elohim, I have to go further. Don't walk around. I'm a tzaddik. I've conquered the world. The world has to respect me. The world owes me covered. Chas v'chalila. Go further. Honesty. Sincerity. Dignity. Selim Elohim. Shliach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kavar HaBriyat. That's the shvua. That's the way you have to act. Ah, and now we come to the high point of today's shia. Now I have to tell you, the Torah I'm about to say now is Torah that the Rev repeated. He had certain chidushim uh, uh, in Drush that through the years I heard it in various contexts. And you're hearing it now for the first time from me. It's, it's magnificent. And the Rev said, the truth of the matter is, a person can live, and he used brisk terminology, either like a gavra or like a chafza. What's the difference? Some of us are more active, take the lead, aggressive. And some of us are passive. We sit back. We ride with the waves. We're not the aggressive individual. We don't take initiative. Two different types of individuals. The truth of the matter is, the Rebbe said, that during our lifetime, fellas, why don't you come closer? I have a cold and it's, it would be so much easier me psychologically. Pull up right in front of me. <coughs> yeah. uh, no, no, I'm okay. I... Uh, Stuart, Stuart, and uh, uh, sit, sit over here, sit over here. Uh, Naftali, Naftali, sit, sit over here. I'll, I'll, I need you later, Stuart. I'm not there yet. I need you later. So, ah, beautiful. So the truth is that in life, many times we act like a gavra. Sometimes we act like a chapsa. What's the difference? And there are periods in life, it depends on how you feel, the state of life, the state of your mind, family. No two ways about it. But what's the difference? When you act like a gafra, when you are active, nothing can stand in your way. You can climb a mountain. You're constantly pushing forward. When you're passive, you're overwhelmed. You basically can't control what's happening to you. And we see it in the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu is told by the Rebbeinu Shalom Shmad Perikhaftalet Pasuk Yudbet Alei Elai Hahara. Come up to get the Luchat. Moshe Rabbeinu was so happy, so overjoyed. He's going up Mount Sinai to get the Shnei Luchat HaBrit. He's going up to become the Adon Hanaviyim. 
he went up, he ran up the mountain with joy, happiness. Sometimes I see fellas going to chuppah. I, I think of one, one married a student of mine who was at the wedding. I never saw it with such joy, such happiness. It's now, maybe ten years later, Baruch Hashem, three, four children later, can I inherit? Beautiful. Mamish, you could see, running. A gaffer. Then, while he's on the mountain, HaKadosh Baruch tells him, Shmatlam at bed, Pasuk Zion, Leich Reid. Stu, I'm going to say something now to make you happy. Nothing to do with the Rav. But the boys told me, and you told me, there's some fellas go to YU and they suffer every moment they're there. It's mamish. Torture. Torture. This Pasuk supports you. Leich Reid. You know what the Reid stands for? Rabbi Doctor. When Rabbanim get doctorates like in YU, it's It's the end of the covenant, the end of the Jewish people. This is the proof that you're right. Rabbi Doctor. Okay? You got it. So now, imagine the way Moshe Rabbeinu feels. He went up with such happiness, such joy, such vision, the future. And God tells him, lay, lay, go down. The people are worthless. It's all over. He went down as a chefza. He lost all feeling, all joy, all purpose of life. And then, look what happened. He broke the luchat. So, of course, there's one shot in the Gemara. The pshat that you all know, the Gemara Shabbat, Shabbat Pezayin Omer Aleph. He broke the luchad willingly, wantonly, threw them down. The Gemara asks, How we know that God agreed with what he did? Shenema asheshibata, amashrishlakish, yashakoyach asheshibata. A play on words. That, in other words, he blocked the luchar, he knew what he was doing, he slammed them. Broke it willingly. But his Baruch agreed. But there's a meritic Yalkut Shimoni. Yalkut Shimoni, Kitisa, Periklamid Bed, subdivision of the Yalkut Shimoni, Shin, Sadi Gimel. Look it up. It's a meritic Yaakut Shemoni. Shin Sadi Gimel. No. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't break the Luchat. To break the Luchat, you have to be a Gavra. have to take initiative. He came down a Chepsa. He was destroyed. He had no strength left. The Luchat fell out of his hand. Those are the exact words of the Yalkut Shemoni. Couldn't handle it. Fell out of his hand. He went up the mountain. He ran up with joy. He came down defeated. They fell out of his hand. The Rav asked an unbelievable question. How can the Yalkut Shemoni say this? 
If the second time Moshe Rabbeinu goes up, Shmot Lamedalet, Sakim Aleph Bet, Psolacha Shnei Luchot Abanim Kirishonim, Vialita Baboker Bahai Sinai, God commands him, Psolacha, exact same Luchot, the exact same weight, and go up the mountain with them. And tell me, what is harder to do? To run up a mountain or to run down a mountain? What is harder to do? To carry luchat that weighed tens of pounds up a mountain or down a mountain? All of you know, to climb up to Matsada or to come down on the other side, which is easier. Takes you an hour and 20 minutes to climb up and on the other side you run down and in eight, nine minutes you're at the bottom of Matsada. What's going on here? It's illogical. The Medrash doesn't make sense. The Yalkut Shimoni doesn't make sense. These are exactly the same Luchat Moshe Rabbeinu was later to carry up in dignity, go up a mountain, a steep climb. And here you say he come, came down, which is infinitely easier, and the Luchat were too heavy, they fell out of his hand. And the Rav said so beautifully, Oh no, the Medrash is right. When you are a Gavra, when you have a purpose, when you have a vision, when you have joy, when you have initiative, when you have perseverance, no task is too difficult. You can conquer the world. When you're a Hefza, the slightest task is too difficult. What can I do? The Jews sinned. They won't listen to me. I failed. I've lost my vision. I've lost my raison d'entre. I've lost my reason for being alive. I've lost the title of Moshe Rabbeinu. At that moment in life, even the luchat that was so easy to carry up and will be so easy to carry up, even those luchat become too heavy, they drop from his hands. And this is why the Rev said so beautifully. It's another reason why we take a, a, an oath, why we take a shvua. You know why? You take that shvua, be a gavra, not a chepsa. Act in dignity. Salam alokim. Where are you getting it from? Keep on moving. Never sit back. Never stop. Never sit on your laurels. Even if the whole world tells you you're a tzaddik, don't believe them. Because then, chas v'chalila, you'll stop functioning. You'll say you've climbed the mountain. You still have a lot to do, a lot to achieve, a lot to climb. Keep on going forward. And this is another reason why you must take this oath. And because you have the Tzalem Mulkim in you, you'll have that ability to be a Gavra, to be a Shliach, and to fulfill what God wants out of you, and you will have that innate dignity, covered habriot, the reflection of Tzalom Kim in the positive sense, not in the negative sense. You will achieve the Shlemut, the Shlemut of the Ramban, the Shlemut of the Tchelet, the Shlemut of the Tzitzit that we spoke about so many weeks ago. And that's beautiful, that Pshat. And I have to tell you, psychologically, truer words were never spoken. Nebuch, when a person has a setback in life, they don't want to get out of bed. They, 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 they don't value themselves. I've seen it time and again. I've gone through my own setbacks in life. 
And, and like the day the sun doesn't shine for you. And, and the greatest gift Torah can give you at that moment, the setback is temporary. It's a Ben Adam. Life is filled with curveballs. But you're going to go further. You have that ability. Don't lose confidence. You have the Tzalem Elohim. You fell down a little bit from the mountain, continue to climb. Don't lose the vision. No one accomplishes it all, but go further. And that's beautiful. Be a gaffer. Don't be a chafsa. Okay. Now we come to the to the end and the saddest part. And I can tell you a little story now. Um, a friend of mine went to another friend's house. These are people approaching 70. And uh, this other person had a yachtsite tape that he won't let out of his hands. Maybe he lent it from the Rav. I mean, these were people that walked on the Rav on a certain level because they supported his institutions. Maybe he borrowed it from the Rav, won't let it out of his hand, most precious possession. And my friend was telling me he played a Yotzite Shear for him. And they cried like babies at the end. You know, when you're a kid, you're going to live forever. When you're my age, every morning you wake up, you pinch yourself because, uh, as I've told you, a good deal of the world I know is gone. And, and my friend told me they broke down, they cried like babies. So when he got all finished, I said, I'm going to tell you what your Tzachiyat was and what you heard. And my friend went berserk. He couldn't believe it. But you didn't hear the tape. I said, yeah, I didn't hear the tape. But uh, 45 years ago, I was there. And I remember that we all cried like babies. The rub, I'll never forget this Yotzai. It's the most moving anyone who was there at the end. This was the Yotzai cheer which they described where it began at 8 o'clock and it was a beautiful night and when we came out close to one, there was two foot of snow on the ground. And who knew there was snow? Who saw snow? We, we were in a different world. We were flying. And we were crying. And the rub said, yes, a person has to be a gaffer. But at times in life, Every human being must become a chafzah. And what does a chafzah mean? Treat yourself like an object. Look at yourself. Hold yourself in your hand. This was the concept that we spoke about weeks ago. Pshitat habagadim. David HaMelech could do it. He turned into a total chafzah. All human dignity was lost. All human initiative. All human bluff. All human climbing was lost. couldn't do it. And even David Melech knew there's a moment in life where the climb has ended. And you have to break down entirely. And you failed. And there's a moment in life for everybody. Even the greatest Jew that ever lived. When every human being must become a chapsa. And that is the day of death. Yom Hamita. The day of death 
according to Torah, according to Yahadud, according to Allah, is like a sacrifice, Hakravat Kabarn. The only difference is, when we bring an animal, the animal is the sacrifice. On the day of death, we are the Kabarn. We are the sacrifice. And the Rav said, I can bring you a simple proof. The vidui we say, before death, is practically exactly the same like the vidui we say on a karban. What do we say before death? I'm quoting from the Hertz Sitter, page 1064. What is the vidui that the person who is so ill says, or someone says it with him? Vatehi mitati kapara when we bring a carbon, Hilchat Maisa Karbonot, Perikimul, Halachi Yudalid. So the Rambam Paskins, Mitvadel Chatat, Avon Chatat. When you bring a Chatat, you have to be Mitvadel, the sin you did that made you. Bring the chatat, engender the chatat. Al Hashem, avon Hashem. Al Ola, mitfadeh, avon asei, v'alon lotasei, shen nitakla sein. All of you know a korban Allah is mechaper for an asei or a lotasei, shen nitakla sein. Hilchat alachat tetvav, ketzet mitfadeh. And how do you do this, Peter? Omer. Chatati aviti pashati, vasiti kach vakach, vachazati betshuva lefanecha, vzu kaparati. Compare that, what a person about to die says, vatekim mitati kapara, akol chatayim v'avonatu pshayim, shechatati, shaviti, shepashati lefanecha. The symmetry, the resemblance, the equation is overwhelming. On the day of death, the person becomes the carbon. And he's makriv himself. He is a total chefza. It's like an animal. He's no longer a gavra. The only difference is when you bring an animal as a sacrifice, a gavra brings the animal. Here it's the chefza bringing himself as the ultimate sacrifice. As a matter of fact, the Rav said, this is why... The Balei Musa had a minhag that before they went to sleep, they made a cheshben hanefesh on everything they did that day because sleep resembles death. The Pasuk and the Hillen, Periklamer Aleph, Pasuk Vav, afkid ruchi. When a person goes to sleep, he puts his soul into God's hands. He prays that he will wake up, but he has no guarantee. You know, you all know how many people they say died in their sleep. So, sleep is in a small measure a reflection of death, and therefore, before going to sleep, the Balei Musa would make a cheshbon nefesh like a chetza, view themselves inanimately, pshita tabagadim, they lost already at that moment the initiative. They were no longer governors. They were no longer conquering the world. But they were reviewing what they had done. Whether it was good, bad, evaluating, judging, 
and asking Slicha Mechila Kapara. Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest Jew that ever lived. The greatest Kavra we ever know. Lokam Kamosha Od, what that man accomplished. We sit here today learning Torah. Jews have learned Torah throughout until 4,000 years. What we have gone through, what we have sacrificed for, what we have lived through. And it all goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest Gavra. When he went up to Hanavo, the final moments of his life, he went up as a Gavra. Devarim Periklamadalit Pasikalev Fayal Moshe Meavot Moav Alhan Navar Rosha Piska Shell Peneyericho Vayareu Hashem Et Kol Haaretz Et Hagilad Ad Dan And Moshe Rabbeinu went up that final time a Gavra. God has commanded him Adon Hanaviyim even though he knew that he would die on that mountain. And Moshe pleaded with God, let me live yet. Let me see Eretz Yisrael. And let me come across the Jordan River. And why was it so important for Moshe Rabbeinu to see Eretz Yisrael? So you'll die in Transjordan. Why was he so insistent? Why did he plead with Hanan? Why? And the Rev explained, because Moshe Rabbeinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you gave me a shlichut in life. I took an oath. Let me complete my shlichut. I still want to be a gavra. I still have a goal ahead of me. I heard five lishonet of Geula. Four I have seen fulfilled. V'hotseiti, v'lakachti, v'ga'alti, v'hitzalti. But what about the v'hevetti? Please, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, don't make me stop in the middle. I want to fulfill the Vehaveti as well. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're making a basic mistake. No individual ever accomplishes it all. No individual ever finishes his shlichat. There is no way that you can fulfill the Vehevati in your lifetime. And even if I'll take you in territory, Israel, so what? No matter what happens, you will not fulfill that total shlichot because the shlichot of Aveti will only come to its total fulfillment and actuality in that great day be a Motamashiach. Only then can we say the goal of a Heveti, the Shavu Banam Lagvulam, has been totally, completely, and absolutely fulfilled. There'll be no more diaspora, no more Gola, no more Surin Pompadita, but everyone will be alat Mata Kodesh for Olamoshim Al Hatsiyon. No. A human being can't do it all. And he says, I'm going to show you the land. I'm going to grant part of your request. But even when I show you the land, I'm going to explain to you 
why it's impossible for you to have the fulfillment of this total shlichot. And he shows him the land, the Varam Lamedalet, Pasukalev, Vayareu Hashem, Et Kola Aretz, Et Hagilad, Adan, everything. East, West, North, South. And Rashi, Al Hamakom, brings down the Sifri, word by word. Heru et Kolerch Yisrael, Bishal Vata, Vaham Meitzikin, Atidim Liot Meitzikim La. What did he show him? He showed the great prophet Eretz Yisrael in peace and happiness. And then the wars they would have to fight. And he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to fulfill your shlichat, you have to live until your Motam Mashiach. And you have to see the people in the land and in the diaspora. And he, Rashi continues to, 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 to cite the Sifri. B'nai Dun of Dea You'll see... The Sifri comments are done. Done away the You'll have to stop them. You'll have to teach them. You'll have to re-educate them. Heru atso b'shalvata b'chubana. Heru ha-kadosh baruch hu kol ha-morot sh'atidim le-ral Yisrael. Achi yichyu ha-metim. You're going to have to see all the tzarat, all the fighting, all the enmity, all the hatred. All the wars, everything that happened after the Holocaust, the return, the election campaign of 1999, the hatred, the sinner, the shvichat what's going on here? You'll have to live until the very last day of Mashiach's arrival. Only then will your shlichot be complete, Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is impossible. No human being can live so long, can live so many years, so many millenniums. And if that's the case, please understand, no one has been a greater shlich than you. No one has been a greater gavra than you. No one has achieved more than you. But Moshe Rabbeinu, even you must die. Fall a shonat of Geula. Vaheveti, unfortunately, this is the human shit muscle, the human destiny, the human fate that the Vehitzalti you saw, but the Vaheveti, it will take thousands and thousands of years. And he showed Moshe Rabbeinu the entire land and all the history and all the joy and all the defeats, and all the success, and all the tears, and all the conquests, and all the frustrations, and Kedusha Rishona, and Kedusha Shnia, and Kedusha Jerusalem, and the Jew, and the Gola, and the difficulty, and Moshe Rabbeinu understood. Yes, the Kiyom of the Heveti will take millenniums, and no human being can live that long. And God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you started your life as a gavra with that beautiful oath and now end off your life with the other part of the oath going back to the Gemara Nida, Pshitat Habagadim. What does the Gemara quote? The Pasuk, Ki litichrach kol berach ze yom hamemita. 
And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu in the last moments of his life, Moshe, you're worried about Vahavati. The truth of the matter is, you didn't even achieve the Tolta Vichitzalti. Because in every generation, its stories will repeat itself. The nations in the world will try to kill us, will try to annihilate us. They will hate us. We're going to have these problems. There is no difference from this side of the Yadain to the other side of the Yadain. Even when I take the Jews there, it will still not be a total completion of the Vihitsalti. It will still not be total salvation. Even when they reach finally the finer part of Eretz Yisrael or the finest part decide on the other part of the Jordan where the Ten Shvatim had their Nachla, even when they reach there, it is not going to be much different than it is here on Eva Hayadain. There's going to be school frustration, there's going to be enmity, there's going to be war, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be death. Only be a Motamashiach. Even then, that's the time that not only the Vehevati will be totally fulfilled, but the Vehitzalti as well, Moshe Rabbeinu. One human being cannot do it all. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest Shliach that ever lived, the man that accomplished more in his life than any other human being had now come up the mountain. Vayal Moshe me'avat Moav al-Hanavo'o And even this great Moshe Rabbeinu had not accomplished all his shlichot and he died on the top of the mountain with part of his dreams, part of his desires, part of his goals, unfulfilled, not having come to fruition. Vayamet Moshe Evet Hashem. He took off his clothes, Pashat et Begadav, Kili Tichra Koberach. And at that moment, Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest Jew who ever lived, the Evet Hashem, at that moment, he was Kulo Evet, Kulo Chefza. And even Moshe Rabbeinu had to die. And that's the way the Rav ended off this unbelievable Yotzeit Russia. Now, I want to pick up... I want to pick up on one aspect of the Drasha. It's very important and it's very contemporary. And again, it comes back to the story I told you about um, the Rav and Rav Goldwicht. You see, one of the great problems we have in the Torah world today is some parts of the yeshiva world engender a false sense of covered, which translates as gaiva, because we're b'nei yeshiva. I know this for many decades. It hit me between the eyes this past uh, Shabbat Cholomoyed Pesach. Uh, as I told you, uh, I was invited away for Pesach. I'm probably the only Jew in the world who has an invitation for room and board not to make Pesach. And my wife and I turned it down. And we turned it down for very simple reasons. I have to be near my library. And uh, my wife's 
also we, we had a viewpoint. Once my wife, is, when she cleans, I told her, don't ask my wife a shala about Pesach. When she cleans already, kashering is nothing. And what, she's going to go away and not clean? You understand? She said, well, I'm going to go away and not clean? So, of course, once she cleans, uh, the kasher out the stove and then the fridge and then the sink, it's no big deal. And then you're your own master, your own boss. You eat what you want, when you want, etc. However, they pressed me, so I went away for Shabbos Cholomayd, and I spoke Friday night, and I spoke Shabbos afternoon. It was an amazing thing. I spoke Friday night, the continuation of Torah and democracy. And I spoke about how we judge who is a from Jew. I spoke, I quoted Chazal, I quoted sources. Shmir Shabbat Babrahasiyah. And in that term, I spoke about the miracle that we have over one million from Jews in the state of Israel. That was a small point I made. A fellow came over to me. Evidently, uh, someone had learned in YU and uh, works in near Yaakov Yeshiva today, teaches there, whatever it is. And he comes over to me and he says to me, you know, he's wearing Yeshiva clothes. And he says to me, Rabbi Rekhaver, did you really mean that? What are you talking about? And he starts telling me, and he really believed it. You know, I couldn't believe my ears. He says, no, no, you know, really. Someone, a litvish, a yeshiva man, person who learns, Talmud Chacham, he's better than everybody else. That's a different level. You can't uh, equate someone who's not Machal Shabbos, with, and, and he really believed like you can have gradations here on the level of the very inherent sanctity of the human being. And I looked at him, I, I didn't argue. I said, well, you may be right. I know what he was talking about already. I know it from Lakewood. I know it from my own years. I know it here in Israel. I know it here from Degel HaTorah. I know it caused a tremendous split in Degel. You know, Agrit Yisrael split into three here. What, what, what the Chafetz Chaim achieved the miracle of unity in Israel, you have Degel HaTorah, Gurit Yisrael, and Shas. And, and part of that split is that the Degel HaTorah people really think they're better than anyone else. They have a monopoly. They have the key. Now, there's a psychological reason why this is. And I'll tell you why. Nowadays, to be a yeshiva boy and leave the world, it means a lot of sacrifice. What does it mean? It means, for instance, in Israel, to a certain degree in America, you're not going to go to college. You're not going to go to college, you're not going to have a profession. You're not going to have a profession. I mean, how are you going to make a living? So if you're another Gadol, all right, you rise to the top, Rosh Hashiva, Posek, no two ways about it. How many of us are Nashim Gadolim? In Israel, it means you're not going to go to the army. The army here is very important. It's still very respected. You're not going to go to the army, you're not going to go to college, you're not going to go to university. So inherently, they give you that feeling of superiority, it's compensation. You don't have to be a great psychologist to understand what's happening. But I have to tell you, this, in, this compensation and this inherent, inherent feeling of holier than thou, it's totally against the heart of Yiddishkeit. And with all the respects to the yeshiva world, now you can understand where the Rav was different. You can understand already Hashkaf is here and worlds in conflict. And that inherent feeling of being any better did not exist with the Rav. 
In that respect, it was Hasidus. It takes us back to what I said an hour ago, what we spoke about last week, what the river has written about, the Vilna Shoemaker and the Vilna Gom. Who is inherently more holy? And the Rav's answer, they're equal. And, and see, that's a totally different gestalt, which to my way of thinking is basic Yiddishkeit. Now, I'll tell you where this comes from. And here I come into a historic problem. The Muslim movement. The Muslim movement started in Eastern Europe, 1830s. Rabbi Yisrael had a fight valiantly, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, Rabbi Yisrael Lipkin, the great-great-great-grandfather of Amnon Shachaplikin, who's uh, in the Merkaz party. Rabbi Yisrael had to fight valiantly. The trend was changing. The world was going under. The enlightenment of Eastern of Western Europe had now conquered Eastern Europe, or was conquering Eastern Europe. The world was opening. Jews could go to university. Jews could go to college. If you wanted to be a rabbi, you could go to a state-run rabbinical school where they gave you a uniform to wear with polished buttons. We had memoir literature. And the girls ran after those polished buttons. Boy, these guys with the, with the uniforms and the polished buttons, the, the most beautiful girls ran after them. We have memoir literature. So in order, Rabbi Yisrael had to show the yeshiva man, you are, you'd see a kapav Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now, in the third generation of Musa, you have the big split. You know what am I talking about? Slabotka versus Nevadik. Kavir Hadam or Gadlet Hadam versus Shiflet Hadam. Now when you take the Slabotka Musa, if it's not reined in, it can lead to a superiority feeling. This was one of the tremendous conflicts. And by the way, when it was brought to the attention of those that propagated the Gatlet Adam, they were aware of the problem. But their answer was, it's a Horat Sha'ah, because if we don't give the yeshiva boy a feeling of superiority, he will feel inferior to those that are outside in the uniforms with the polished buttons, those that are going to university, those that are going to college, those that are conquering the world, and therefore the Gadlat Adam engendered a feeling, you're better than anybody. And this was Slabotka, and I don't have to tell you, the way the boys dressed in Slabotka, the latest styles, the latest fashions, ties, dignity, uh, haircuts, with a chup, with, with a blow-rit, a chup, the dignity, you understand, it was, it was an entire thrust. No one, no one grew a beard until they were married, till they became rabbanim in cities. We have pictures of Rabbar and Cutler without a beard in Slabotka, a teenage kid. I mean, it's no secret. It was, it was, a, it was a different world. The Gatlet Adam, Shiflet Adam, of course, was exactly the opposite. Shiflet Adam, Chasva Khalila, we should be Balgaiva, Chasva Khalila, we should dress nicely, Chasva Khalila, we should pay attention to material matters. See, they approached the Western world by denying it. It's unimportant, unimportant. But they had one advantage. Anyone who lived with Navarak Musa never succumbed to Gaiva or the feeling of superiority. That did not exist in Navarak Musa, just the opposite. So you see, these were worlds in conflict. 
and and there's sociological factors here, and the problem remains a problem until today. I'm not one to say, look, if someone's going to say to me, the only way we can keep all these thousands of people learning Torah day and night is to give them this feeling of superiority. I don't know, maybe it's Harad Shah, but all I can tell you is the Talmud of the Rav, I intuitively recoil from this feeling. I can't help myself. If I know a little Torah, I have to be humble. Thank God, if I can remember something that I learned 40 years ago, I have to thank a Kaddish Baruch Hu. You understand what I'm saying? This is why I was created. This is why I'm here. This is my shlichut. The fact that I've, I... And therefore the grace of God go I. In other, in other words, these Jews, Machal Shabbos, are just do who knows nothing. If not for the grace of God, where would I be? Where would some of you be? You understand? It's not... Uh, none of us were born into homes where we got Torah uh, on a golden spoon. You understand? We had a... We were there. We made certain decisions. Our parents made certain decisions. Hashkoch HaPratis was with us. But what's be, the difference between us and, and the other Jew is a very thin line. So how can we, we have to be humbled and, and, and we have to be thankful and not chas v'chalilu bibal gaifa. But this is a terrible problem. And what the Rav spoke about here is extremely important and it comes up, by the way, and I, I can't go into more detail now, but those of you that know Ezeesh Halacha, where he deals with the Muslim movement, <coughs> you have to see the analysis. Now, it's a little, it's different what I'm saying now. It's a different problem he raises. But you still feel he deals with the whole problem because this is two worlds in conflict. I'm a bentora. I wear a uniform. Do I have to wear a uniform? The uniform. You see, to, to me, when I see the yeshiva world, the right wing yeshiva world, or the world where everyone wears a uniform, so they'll tell you we're like soldiers. We're like soldiers. We have a uniform too. But I instinctively. To me, the greatest uniform is the individuality of each student. Everyone different. It's like I say time and again, my vote about Lakewood. When I learned in Lakewood, we all wore hats. Everyone wore a hat. But no two hats were alike. I don't remember one black hat outside of the Rosh Hashiv and the Mashkiach, you understand, the real, the, the Rabbanim. And the students, I don't remember one black hat, but no two hats were alike. That was the amazing thing, you understand, that this type of hat, the other type of hat, this color, that color, the, we don't need that uniform. But I don't know. Maybe most people need something more tangible. But the danger is there, and you can, the literature on this topic, Chaim Grada's novels, you'll hear about this next week uh, from the Rav, Chaim Grada's novels, it's an unbelievable problem, and it's reflected right here in, the, in this Russia, a meritic Russia. Now, before I summarize, I have to say one more thing today. Something unbelievable happened to me. What was it, last Thursday? Last Friday. I want to quote to you from a volume that appeared last year. Rakafet Aaron Chelek Aleph, page 79. And the author of, the, of this volume is describing the altar of Slabotki, the founder of one of the great Musa people, Reb Natan Finkel, the founder of Kavar Hadam, or Gadlut Hadam, I should say. I quote, The Saba was a master tactician. He was known as the Saba of Slabotka, the altar. 
It doesn't sound good in English. I know that a lot of you fellas uh, study things in English. To say grandfather of Slabatka, that's not, I know in English they translate the Alta. Alta. Alta is a Yiddish word. Saba. The Saba was a master tactician in pedagogy and instilling within his students the desire to strive for spiritual perfection. He never tired of relating a sight he had observed in the Vilna marketplace in his youth. A woman peddler was hysterically shouting and cursing at a competitor at the next stall. In other words, two women peddlers selling apples in, in, in Slabaka, the marketplace, yelling and cursing and shouting. In the midst of a tirade, a customer purchased a penny's worth of beans from her. She immediately became joyful, smiled and profusely thanked him and blessed the purchaser and she gave him his merchandise. Even as he walked away, she continued to bless him with prayers for his welfare and happiness. Do you understand the sight? Two women selling beans, maledicting each other, cursing each other out. A guy comes along, buys one kilo of beans for a penny. Today would be for a shekel, two shekel. Immediately the woman stops cursing. And she's benching him and benching him. Rabbi Finkel declared that by discovering the proper inspirational penny, a person could be inspired to develop himself into a spiritually complete individual. In his public lectures and private conferences with his pupils, the Saba constantly sought to ignite this spark within his followers. He related differently to each student. Some he approached with a smile, a compliment, and a praise in the hopes that this was their proper penny. Others were rebuked and criticized for not making sufficient use of their abilities in the expectations that this was their proper penny. And it's a meritic thought in Chinuch, but a meritic thought. Any person, you can turn anyone on. There's no such thing as a student, as a human being who can't be turned on. You have to find the proper penny. person could be cursing, cursing, cursing. When you find that penny, he'll start blessing. His whole life will turn around. And, and, and this is what the Sabbath says, Mr. Pedagogue, students, different, beautiful. I can't go further. Obviously, I could talk on this for endless, endless time. But I want to tell you what happened to me. I was privileged to write up this story. I was not an eyewitness to it, but I heard it many times from my Rebbe, Rav Yaakov Moshe Cohen Lesson, who heard it from the Sava of Slabatka, and it's also written up in Tznuwa Tamasa, so I have Shnei Nemanim that this took place. Gentlemen, if you don't believe what is written in the Rakafet Aram, it happened to yours truly, to Anra Kefet, last Friday. And it's a miracle that Stewie is here to testify that I'm telling it as it was. And the story is very simple. I was walking down into Meisharim from Shvetambe. I have a student, a Svatic student, who was extremely like a son to me, um, uh, Isaac Sutton, many years ago. And we remained very close until today, and he's very helpful to me. When I'm in America, he gives me an office with a phone. I can do whatever I want. And uh, Xerox treats the Rebbe. Because in America, I, I, don't, I, need, I need where to work out of, and he's fabulous for me. And no one bothers me. Fabulous. So um, Isaac sends me an invitation to his son's bar mitzvah. So I tell Malka, I tell my wife, honey, I'm going to try to get a book that for a chaleh, they're from chaleh, you know, they're Sutton, Sitton, 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 this is the famous Jews from chaleh, Syria. Let me see if I can get anything about chaleh, Syria. And as I'm walking to Meisharim, on the corner of Kika Shabbat is a guy with a stall 
selling tapes, books, tzitzit, uh, pictures of Gedola Yisrael. Did you buy the picture of Ramesha? Good, beautiful. Pictures of Gedola Yisrael. And I see a book, Chachmei Chaleib. And I pick it up. And the guy tells me he authored it. The guy's standing there selling. So I tell him I've also authored this book. Now he start talking. I buy the book for 35 shekel. 35 shekel. We're talking a book with nice pictures, with, with stories. $8, whatever it is. I just bought a tape for 20 shekel. Jack wanted to chip in with me. I told him I can afford a videotape for 20 shekel. Baruch Hashem, 35 shekel. And I had the guy write an inscription as the author and put my name and my wife that we bless him, the author in Chalei. And this guy was dancing around. You don't know what you did. Am I right or wrong? You don't know what you did for me. My day, he didn't tell, his day was horrible. Nobody told us I had such a terrible morning. And you bought this book now from me. And you asked me to sign it. And, and he was dancing around me. And, and I said, you got to testify that we brought the Sab of Slabatka to life. Testified. Beautiful. Gentlemen, to reiterate, what did we do today? Ah, what we did today. We went through again the dreams. We went through, I added one addition I didn't say last week. Very nice, very nice what I saw. Very nice. Uh, we went through shlichut, covered Adam. When is covered good? When is covered bad? The whole shvua that we take. And finally, the saddest part, I'll never forget there was a dry eye in the audience when a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Moshe, the greatest Gavra, Chefsa Gavra Divrei Torah, the greatest Gavra, but even he can't complete it all. You're going to have to live for thousands of years. Even you think, Moshe, you think that you didn't see the Veti, you didn't see the Vichitzalti also. And even Moshe, the greatest Gavra, has to become a carbon, becomes a chefza, kulo chefza, vayomacha Moshe, eved Hashem. My dear friends, this today has been the uh, 24th lecture. The final lecture in this class will be next week. I have a special treat for you. Rabbi Israel Miller will speak about the Rav. It's an amazing tape. Because here's a man who knew the rough from the late 30s till the end. And you'll get a vantage point. RCA, stories, the rub, the personality. It's fabulous. I wouldn't miss next week's shear for all the Yoradei Bechinus in the world. Yesterday, uh, the shear was something, that part with the key was just something special yesterday. Next week, it's a $20,000 shear on Sunday, the Yom Kippur War and the Aguna problem. Jack, the great moment has arrived. Uh, side two, and put in your tape that side two, but don't start it, you don't have to just introduce it.